Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to The Line, the sports podcast from PR Week. Welcome to The Line, the seventh episode of the PR Week sports podcast. I'm Richard Gillis. I'm here, as ever, with Danny Rogers, the editor-in-chief of PR Week. Welcome, Danny. Hi, Rich. How are you doing? I'm, I'm okay, actually. Yeah. Coping with the, uh, the festive slump of uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah, we're now in seventh place. Chelsea, cr- Chelsea fans crowing to my left. We're gonna. We're talking today about agencies, and we've got two people. Two people I've known for a very long time. And when I first met them, they were the sort of bright young things of the agency <laughs> world, of the sports marketing <laughs> agency world. So we have Henry Chapel, uh, founding partner of Pitch Marketing Group. Welcome, Henry. Hi. And we have Rupert Pratt, co-founder of Snack Gaming and founder of Generate. So we've got a lot of founders in the room today. Very impressive. Very impressive. Um, Henry, let's start with you. Pitch Marketing Group, just give us a little bit of backstory. So just tell us where it started. What was the, what was the market like when you first went to work in this space? Um, so, so the backstory starts really with my career, I guess. I, I, my first real job in the sports industry was at IMG, which is International Management Group, the world's leading sports management group. My, my, my first paid job was actually... You're not, you're not contractually, you know, you're not obliged to have to say that now. No, second, no it's okay. But I say my first start was actually selling fanzines outside Old Trafford when I was at university, and I made, I made very good money doing that, which actually was football fanzines were the first form of social media, actually. Um, and come on to that. But yes, but uh, that's another conversation, perhaps. But I, I started that. I, I worked at IMG. You'll have to explain to uh, <laughs> you'll have to explain to both of us what it was like being in publishing when it was a profitable. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, well, it was someone that's didn't rob that. your money at the end of the game, which yeah. sometimes happened. But we did, we made really good money. It was a, the fanzine was set up by a guy called Andy Mitten, who's still a journalist today and very successful. Uh, and United We Stand Still is going as one of the most successful fanzines in this country. But but um, it paid my way at university to, to follow my team, uh, Manchester United. But I then came to London and I, got a, I was lucky enough to get a job 
um, and this shows my age, in, in the faxed operating room of IMG. <laughs> and, and this is in the day where anything of note was faxed. So uh, I spent a year reading the contractual uh, details uh, for everybody from Michael Schumacher to Nick Faldo to Tim Henman, who was you know, flying high at that time. So it was a, a great learning curve. I probably wasn't supposed to be reading the facts. I was probably just supposed to be sending them, but I did learn a bit. But then, so I started my career there. IMG were obviously were the sort of monopoly player in the sports industry at that time. Um, this is the uh, mid-90s, so it was, it was you know, the 80s, 90s. They'd really dominated um, and world-renowned. And um, But I realized you weren't really going to progress there because everybody, there were a lot of, you know, fat cats with Mercedes-Benz cars and big leather chairs and they, ain't gonna, they weren't going anywhere. So um, I was lucky enough to get a job at Freud Communications, uh, which was about 40 people when I joined and was a crazy, dysfunctional, but very creative, hectic uh, environment. Some would say it still is. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't comment. But it was an, I worked there for six or seven years and I had an amazing experience because what happened there as a 20-year-old, you were exposed to... You know, it's a very big clients and sort of put into bat, you know, way up your, you know, my higher up the order than you ought to have been. But, you know, that was just the way it was. And it was very much a sink or swim. Um, and, and it was it was a great experience. And I think Freud's at that point was, was you know, at it's, at its actually pinnacle and, and was trading off its connections, its connectivity, it's the fact that it had access to everybody and everything. And I think in those days, back to the point of agency, that was critical. Um, but one of the things I learned in that process was the importance of ownership if you're in the agency game. And um, that's why I had an eye on setting up my own agency. And really, out of my two experiences at, well, probably three experiences out of United We Stand, but particularly IMG and Freud's, was why I created Pitch. Which And, and I talked to, you know, Matthew Freud was an investor in the business at the outset, and I just talked to them at length about it because... All I'd identified as a 28-year-old was basically that sport, you know, engaged consumers like nothing else. Um, you know, e even then, you know, football was still, people were still sort of looking down the nose at it. But I realized the, the popularity of it, the consumption of sport was on the increase, both in terms of viewership and participation. And brands were realizing this and were investing in it significantly. And I just felt that there was, a, um, in those days, the big PR agencies might have had some sports expertise, but it might have just been one bloke with a jumper in the corner. And the, the traditional sports management agencies like IMG were, were very traditional and big. And, and I felt there was a need for a specialist agency in with the communications space um, that, that had expertise, you know, distinctive, defined expertise in the sports industry. And that's the premise for Pitch PR, as it was. And you're, would you still say you're a PR company? No, we're definitely not a PR company now, and we're trying to. But not that we don't think PR is good. It's great to be. We have a very successful PR division, and we've got some very long-standing brands and sports rights holders that we do PR work for. You know, the NBA has been a client of Pitches across Europe for ten years, and we are their European, you know, communications agency, and have helped build the NBA across seven key markets. You know, we've worked with BT, out and out PR for since to, to launch BT Sport in this country. Very, very successful investment for them. And that's out and out PR. The list could go on. So PR is still a really important part of our business. 
But, you know, we also, the reason for the rebrand to Pitch Marketing Group was because of the other areas that we work in and sponsorship, both strategy and activation, obviously content creation and content production, but also ambitions elsewhere. And we increasingly have brands we're working with in a purely digital capacity. So it could be odd when you're pitching to Tag Heuer to work with them on their sponsorship of the Premier League to be pitching as Pitch PR because, you know, you needed to be, so we, d- we don't really want to, the, the entry point to be a, a particular uh, expertise we wanted it to be the brand as a whole because I think the evolution of agencies and this can come to the point well, let's, let's, ju- let's, co- let's sorry, park that I'm jumping ahead you, you are no, but exactly where we want to go but okay. I want to ask Rupert the same question so yeah. we then get to the same sort of timeline so Rupert gives your I remi- remember you from yeah. sport business yeah. the hallowed where we it's met. the university really of the sports business yeah, some would say back to the publishing argument was, was, uh, doing a great job of burning lots of uh, <laughs> lots of uh, venture capital that was my job. Uh, wasn't it? I was the editor, so, the time. Was so the, uh, uh, it was uh, it was burning money rather than making it. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some there's some similarities to Henry's story. Um, very much started out, uh, I guess, at, at the birth of the I guess the sports marketing industry um, back when sponsorship was pr- primarily the chairman's whim, you know. And then as the industry grew people realised that they needed specialists. So um, I sort of went from working for a, a one-man band that was sort of just managing sponsorships as a, as, as a one-man consultancy to then into sport business, you know, the magazine. And the industry was growing. There was obviously a requirement for insight, expertise, as more and more investment was coming into the, into the marketplace. Um, so uh, back with a with a guy called Andy Muggleton, um, who we met at Sport Business. Well, whatever happened to him? He's he's still he's still <laughs> he's still working very hard, um, and uh, uh, effectively realised that there was an opportunity in the marketplace, probably in the second or third tier, beyond beyond the primary primary first tier rights, because there was value everywhere. You, you know, second tier rights had value to them. So we started out primarily uh, selling selling rights, and that was generate. That was generate, and then you know we found I suppose a niche for ourselves in being able to understand and package up second third tier rights because everybody has an audience and a passion point, and it didn't matter whether we were selling beach volleyball or uh, superbikes or second tier motorsport. There was eyeballs. There was value to it. Um, and then the business grew. We would do a deal, and then the, the sponsor would say, "Well, can you manage this for us?" So we we started doing more consultancy and activation. And then, much much like Henry, the next alliteration was, "Well, we need to activate these rights." So we started up a PR department, um, and then into event management. So so the agency grew to a I guess a a team of specialists, but our specialism was sport, um, and. Um, Latterly, we sold that back in uh, April last year um, to Mission Marketing PLC uh, and rebranded as Mongoose, Mongoose Sports and Entertainment um, and integrated that business. So and I guess o- over time, you know, the business has changed. But I guess the, um, uh, the, the objectives that we deliver haven't, you know, and the way in which we go about achieving those has just changed so it's you know we deal in passion points and engagement but it's just a case of new new tools and and, and new channels so okay so we're we're sort of up to date henry i interrupted you in terms yeah. of 
the, the direction of travel for, for agencies. It's more competitive than ever. That's definitely the case. I think there's, there's probably more opportunity, but it's more competitive because you can, you know, you can, you can trade in a number of different areas, which is against why we've sort of broadened our proposition, which is more um, in line with, with the type of work that we do. Um, but we find have found we're competing with such a wide array of, of businesses, and it's good. we're not just competing with agencies. I think nowadays you compete, you compete with your client, because increasingly they have more and more in-house expertise, and so obviously with procurement-driven processes and the like, they try and do more and more in-house. So you might have a client you've worked with many years, but you're, in, in, you're competing with them for the actual work. And secondly, we're in competing with with um, media platforms um, for you know whether it be um, specialist ones like I don't know a Copa ninety or ninety men you know yeah. or, or Goal or Perform you know who are, are media platforms and have deals with brands who then say we can do it all because they obviously want to own the client right up to Facebook yeah you know uh, on the big brands that we work with we're we're all in the room together but they're sort of basically they would like to own the whole thing and I think also with the leading sports ride holders if you ever work with Manchester United they actively try and keep the agencies of their sponsors out of the room actively because they don't want them involved because they'll say you know you're spending the money with us we've got our own capabilities to activate this and deliver this and and so you're you sort of the competition is is incredibly broad and so you know, we won't come and talk more broad about the sports industry, but for agencies, you have lots of situations where are they friend or foe? So, and that, that's why we really crystallise what our role is, because I think we have to be really clear to customers, to your clients, you know, what what the value f- for us is. What, what, is, what is that value? Well, we're in trying a to nutshell. keep it real simple, and we keep us still believe the role of agencies is ideas, is great ideas. Because you can, yes, you can be spending a ton of money on Facebook and they can support and all the rest of it. And they might understand the algorithms and all the rest of it, but still, at the heart of it, you need great ideas. And I think that's what marketing agencies should be, you know, consumer marketing agencies, and they should be trading on and the, the abilities. And I think that's ultimately, you speak to most clients, that's still what they're looking for at all levels, whether it be a PR client or a sponsorship client or a big a brand line, they're looking for great ideas. Something that, because they all, cha- their challenge is share of voices, getting attention. It's so competitive for them out there that they need great ideas to cut through. And that's what we're really trying to focus, building a creative <laughs> business, if you like, which is just around great ideas that can then be delivered across different ch- lines of business or channel, whether yeah. I say it be PR or sponsorship or content or whatever it is. And that's what we're really trying to focus so on. So I was going to ask you whether an idea means that you then have to run the campaign itself, or doesn't that really matter? No, I mean, I'll give you an example for a campaign we did for Diageo. We created for Captain Morgan a campaign called Celebrate Like the Captain, which is based around football, football culture, actually, about, the, you know, when, when, do you, when do you most behave like, I don't know if you know the character Captain Morgan, the brand, yeah. but when do you most behave like Captain I'm a, Morgan? I'm aware of it. Probably when you score a goal. You know, you let your inhibitions go and you punch the air or maybe even you twirl your shirt around your head, etc. So that based on it is that that they love that insight. And so we did a sort of user generated content campaign to get people to, 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 to send in entries of them celebrating like the captain and then the, their team that they play for based on the fact like a million people still play football every Saturday, Sunday, and then probably go for a drink afterwards. The winning team will want a VIP trip to Jamaica to the home of Captain Morgan. We're, that was our idea. Diageo loved it, bought it, but then 
different specialist agencies. I think Gravity Road did the social, and <laughs> I can't remember what the ad agency did the creative, and and then we all had to play nicely. But it, it was our idea. We led. I think we. I think we still did the PR. Obviously, you'd like to do the whole thing, and this is back to the point of being more competitive. But you had to settle for. We got a really good fee for developing the idea and for doing well, our. This is the point, work. isn't it? Because how do you charge for an idea? This has been one of the big challenges of of advertising and PR. Yes. In that, if you're not running the campaign and therefore running it on a time spent basis you have to have the right fee for the size of the idea how yeah. do you and how who do you own that idea as well yeah. and, and and just just to pick up on one of henry's points or, or your, your question indeed is you know to look to the future and even to look at the now you've got to slightly look at the past and uh you know henry talked about the the, the role that they play and um I think in addition, you have to offer a specialism and expertise as an agency. You, back to the in-house argument or the fact that we're competing is more competitive, you have to offer an expertise or specialism that either the client can't do in-house or uh, to some degree the other agencies in, in, in the roster can't. And if you look back at how, you know, certainly from we were in the industry at the beginning, sponsorship and sports marketing was a specialism 20 years ago. It's not now. It's not now. That's the key point. So to look back... Everyone knows about it. So to look Mm. back, you know, when we started, it was, you know, you were brought in as the specialist, but sort of uh, the market's gone through more consolidation, uh, media houses, the media groups of which we're sat in one now, they all have their sports marketing teams. Uh, The mainstream PR agencies have a sports sports department. So that the, the industry got generalised, I would say, yes. uh, which then made it more competitive. And that's not to say some of the generalists, the generalists, some of those guys have got really good specialisms within uh, here yeah. within within Havas. You know, they've got all the guys at Mongoose are specialists at sport, fitness, PR. Pitch do a fantastic job at sport, PR, content distribution, yeah. whatever you want to call it. And that's because they we understand the marketplace. To a, to a level and a detail that maybe some of the generalists don't. You know, creativity needs a process, and it needs you know a real methodology. So it's not it it isn't just I thought of this in you know in the shower this morning. Yeah. It needs to be much more professionally organised. And I think if you can get clients to understand that, then they can put more value on it because then they can understand that the time that goes into the creation of an idea. And I think I think your point you raised a minute ago is if agency if if, if that is one area obviously because there are other areas. This is the one we've identified probably in the creative side of things. Because you you know you could pick up other points of expertise around data or tech a tech expertise. You know that could be something some sort of technology expertise. And I think in our world sports I say two circles has done very well, haven't they? Breaking through with sort of some probably some market leading thoughts around CRM and the use of data applied to sports rights holders. So I'm talking about this sort of applying to brands, really, yeah. and also sports rights holders and what have, have you. But I think what we're trying to do is is take that further, that thinking further for how we could create the ideas around so that, that clients can understand it. If they understand that process more, then you can put more of a value to it. But is it also understanding the impact of those ideas? Because it's all very well the client yeah. understanding the process. Surely they've got to understand the impact. Yeah. You'd want to be paid on output. I mean, like you know, I, I think if we, we would look to get paid on the end result, a success, a percentage on the end result. Or the likely impact of a yeah. particular idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The actual percentage of the end result. So I think that's the ideal situation for us or something is that then there's a, if there is a bonus payment or some form of pay- payment mechanism based on the actual business impact at the end. 
you know, and yeah. then then you then you sort of up, up front and back. In the middle, you might have you know, it's elbows out about who does exactly what, and you might sometimes get to do the lot, and sometimes just to do one channel. But that that's that's all good. But that you have to accept. You, there's always going to be. You know, you're always going to be one of a number of snakes in the pit, you yeah. know, when it comes to trying to get the work for all, any brand of any note, aren't they? Because they'll all have a media agency and a creative agency and a digital agency. And, a, you know, so you're all going to be in there and amongst it trying to get your fair share. But I think I think I think where you can really win is, is ownership of the idea. But but I do I do think all agencies, we all need to think about how we can not undersell that. Because yeah, I, think, well, I mean, the ad, the ad agencies have got this fundamental problem, which is that they've always been coming up very good at coming up with great ideas yeah. and they've made their money by taking a cut of the media um, now it's more difficult to take a cut yes. of the media because that's being disintermediated yeah. um, so how do the ad agencies charge for their big ideas and they've been very good at this sort of thing so yeah um, it's content is a new format now isn't it and how you value that is very tricky yeah i, 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 I just on your content thing, this is one of my bugbears within the industry is that everyone talks about content marketing, content distribution and content creation. It's the emperor's new clothes, isn't it? You know, define content to me. Well, content is words, pictures, video, right? Well, back in the start of our industry, you know, we did content distribution. You know, we used to get stories written on behalf of brands. We'd get pictures placed. We'd get people speaking and talking about um uh, a brand or, or or a campaign but back to the back to the idea and the creativity that's something that's never diminished but it, it has to be the idea is the thing that opens the door for you that idea still needs to be that creative concept still needs to be applied um and it just happens to be that the way that we need to apply that and distribute that content has has, has fundamentally changed now what i was going to say just as you were saying you, you reminded me of your old sort of uh, agency, IMG, in terms of the way in which that's evolved with something like UFC. So they've mm. they've made a. It's not about <coughs> ideas; it's about ownership, though. Yeah, and it's about creating intellectual property that they can then commercialise, and then all the other services that they've always offered are doing that. So in terms of selling it, is that you know that's real top of the market stuff going on there? It's very expensive. But is that a model that is attractive to all? Can all agencies borrow from that? Do you think? Well, I, I don't know. I think it's no, I think it's a very very different type of agency, aren't they? So it's more of a as they're a media agency. They're an owner yeah. of sports rights, aren't they? And and so that but their model was was always going back to sort of golf was to try and own where they made most money was they owned the whole lot. So if they did the world match play golf at Wentworth, you know, it was exclusively their golfers. It was their tournament. Yeah. They sold the hospitality, they sold the sponsorship, they, and they sold the broadcast rights, and I think probably had a 50-50 joint venture on that too, you know? So Which is exactly the same model as the McGregor... Yes. Um, yeah. McGregor May- Mayweather. and Mayweather, Mayweather yeah, fight. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. essentially had all the hallmarks of an old McCormack deal, didn't it? I mean, yeah. They, they, own the, they own the talent, they own the... The yeah. event, they own the, you know, and, and yeah. so everything then flowed ultimately back yeah. to them. And I think it's not just in sport; it's across sport and entertainment. It's a Simon Cowell model. It's it doesn't mm. matter. You mm. own, you create the property and own the whole lot. Is when you absolutely hit the jackpot. But that's yeah. that's 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 they're talking about you know rights agencies. Yeah, you know, no, as but opposed I'm just wondering to about creative. it comes back to your point about the idea and, and Rupert's point about who owns the idea yeah. in terms of you know, for example, switching saddles. Great idea. Yeah. 
is that something that was ownable or was yeah. that something well, you I think could have done I think it's brand? probably probably not because it was a one off perhaps we're doing a second one with with for Betfair where we've come so up with off. the Rio Ferdinand defended to contender mm-hmm. you know ding ding round one in January I think well maybe a bit later but we'll see but um an idea like the Wembley Cup, perhaps, which Havas created, or yeah. Poke, I can't remember who, yeah. everyone, success has many fathers, doesn't it? You know, yeah. EA would claim to own it. EA would claim to own it. It wasn't pitch, unfortunately, but I do look at that jealousy. Go, but that's a good idea, because that's something that's going to continue, you know, forevermore. So probably it was Hashtag United and, you know, Spencer who came up with it. Was like, I'm not sure who actually owns that idea. That's an example of a great idea. Yeah. That if agency should be, that's how I think you can get ownership. I, I, I think it has to be something that continues year on year. Well, you've so got. I mean, if you look at Coca-Cola, there. I mean, they've always seen assets in three ways. One is is your traditional official partnership <coughs> rights, you know, yeah. FIFA and IOC, and then you've got something like a trophy tour, which is a sort of collaboration. that's a hybrid yeah. between FIFA and Coke, and there's an ownership share there. And then you've also got the owned events. At yeah. one end, which yeah, I, I think to look at the you know we're talking about the role of agencies, yeah, you know, and I think you've got to look at. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news: ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free, or go to amazon.com/newsadfree. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The market that we're operating now, because traditionally agencies have always sat in the middle. And the way I've always seen the market is agencies sat in the middle of a triangle. You know, ultimately, in terms of sports marketing agencies, you know, you've got the sponsor advertiser sat at the top of the triangle. uh, And you've got rights holders trying to access that sponsor, advertiser, and you've got broadcasters and publishers. And then the agencies sort of sat in the middle of them via whatever route, bringing those two parties together, activating the rights, whatever it might be, advising the sponsor on what to sponsor. But I think, interestingly, that the world has changed significantly now to the point where nobody really, and this is probably why we're grappling with this issue, is nobody understands what their role is anymore because uh, ultimately... Rights holders want to become broadcasters, you know. Yeah. They, they they now realise that the new the new gold is about content distribution, even though they did that's what they used to do was broadcast content. So you're like, that's an OTT argument, yeah. Yeah, and so they and they're trying to, but so ultimately, uh, and you know, they know that sponsors, advertisers need to want more content, and they want social media content, and they want that distributing. So they're turning into almost, you know, rights holders are turning into mini content distribution teams, you know, ECB building a content team now um, and the likes. And then on top of that, you've got you've got broadcasters and publishers that are predominantly probably trying to become rights owners to some degree because they want a solid, they need more means of monetizing their audience. But then latterly, you've got the digital players, which will come on to the Amazons yeah. and the Facebooks. So that triangle has now become a bit more of a square 
And now everyone's sort of trying to become a, I guess, a digital publisher or a, a content distributor. And so the, so the industry doesn't actually really understand who's what anymore. It doesn't really understand the pattern of its own existence. Correct. And yeah. everyone's trying to get everyone for lunch. And then you've got the agency sat in the middle. So to Henry's point, what used to be quite a simple exercise in PR, which was I've just got to get my client in the media, as in in the, in the press and on TV. Now you've got to get your client across 20, 30, 50 different channels across different formats and actually what's my role in that am I distributing it mm. am I giving it to other people to distribute yeah and, and and the story goes on so I think that's the bit that the agency world needs to to wrestle that, to the ground that, that's the inherent difference between a, a Freud's and a pitch uh, as opposed to an IMG or an X1X isn't it is, yeah. is that the the agency like pitch or Freud's is an advisor it's an objective advisor, and that's why you can come up with creative solutions that are powerful for those particular clients. And that is what a, an agency should do, really. But Correct. you're absolutely right, Rupert. Agencies have stopped being agencies. If you, as soon as you start getting into rights holding and yeah. ownership, you Conflict. stop being an objective advisor. I hope you're enjoying this episode of The Line. If you'd like to be involved in future episodes, either as a guest or as a sponsor, then drop me a line on danny.rogers at haymarket.com or look on the PR Week website for details. So welcome back. Now, we've been talking with Henry Chappell and Rupert Pratt about agencies. Let's talk about Facebook. Friend or foe, Rupert? Um, I, well, foe, uh, ultimately, uh, for the sports industry, because they've done a fantastic job of monetizing the sports industry um, directly uh, without actually having to pay out for any for any rights so you know great model and you know it's been interesting to see how so many rights holders dived into building up their social media followings as a means of uh, you know monetizing their own their own assets and building up you know digital inventory then to suddenly realize all they're doing is growing facebook's um uh, coffers so to speak so clearly now the, the the next thing is well as a rights holder how do i directly monetize my digital digital platform and so um and i to be honest i i don't really see facebook i know everyone's talking about facebook coming in and making a major play uh in the rights market but uh they will do or they will only do that if they absolutely have to and i think that's a that's a long way off yeah yeah they put a bid in for the ipl that's right isn't it quite a yeah. significant bid but a long yeah. way off what yeah. the actual yeah. rights went for. Yeah, and I, and I think it's an interesting argument. And, and again, you know, using that as context, I think I think probably rights is a sprat to catch a mackerel for them. So they might be making tactical investments, whether that be to the Indian market, might be a totally different market. And so maybe they just need yeah. to grow themselves in India and obviously cricket's, cricket's the way of doing that. Is that because they're trying to become a broadcaster? No. Is it, you know, they might make tactical investments around growing certain audience shares or... Um, always a means of creating other content but you know to shell out significant money for for for, for uh for, for broadcast they, they just don't need to do it yeah well it's hard enough getting them to pay tax that loan pay exactly. for sports rights exactly <laughs> henry throughout facebook what's your and the, 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 this is in relation to the sports industry as a whole yeah in the first instance i disagree rupert i think they're a friend and i think you have to look at what they have done for the sports industry as a whole, not, not just them, but the social media platforms in terms of building global fan bases, driving engagement with sport and helping, 
you know, to drive people to interact with different football clubs and sports rights holders on a much, much more frequent basis on a, and a much, you know, driving that obsession is which worked very well for both sides. And to say that all that the sport's done is, is built Facebook's coffers. Well, of course, Facebook have done tremendously well about it because they're just, you know, they absolutely kill the monetization because they ultimately own the customer when you, you kind of go through them. But indirectly via B2B transactions, sports rights holders all over the world, but particularly things like Premier League football clubs, have done phenomenally well on their commercial deals off the back of their content engaging with consumers around the world. You look at Richard Arnold and his sales pitch for Manchester United, which has been around about Manchester United's content is the most engaging content in the world, bar none. And that's why you, Chevrolet, should part with £45 million a year to sponsor us. Of course, the broadcast sponsorship gives them huge exposure around the world, but the digital aspect of it helps to give some real empirical data behind it and prove the level of engagement. So I think plus, I think it's really helped fuel the marketing of these sports for the broadcast, international broadcast deals. And again, that's why NBC have invested in the Premier League. And it's working for them because in America, they can activate it so successfully with the clubs, you know, with the social media channels. And so I think you look at it more broadly. And I think, I think you know, social media has taken the sports industry as a whole about five steps forward. Yeah, which, which, is, which is why Facebook is positioning itself very much. It's on the charm offensive at the moment, isn't it? And, and I agree with your points, you know, on that. It's... It, it's a, uh, they're a means of assisting rights holders to promote themselves to new audiences. So I mean, albeit, albeit now, you know, when you are, you know, the rights holders or you're Ronaldo or Neymar and you've got 90 million followers on Instagram or well, particularly the football clubs, you go, hang on a minute, we're putting all of this content out there on the channels. And we're not. so now I think they start to scratch out. And I think that's where, you know, the conversations will be had and, and, and they will look at it. But you, then not all of the, the sports rights holders have put everything out. They say, say Manchester United don't have a YouTube channel, for example, do they? because they believe that cannibalizes their own platforms like MUTV and, and so forth. They were also quite late to the party with some of the social media channels. Their strategy was just to wait and listen, believe that when they came to the party that they could build up their audience pretty quickly and do it on their terms. And so... I, you know, and I, but I, th- I think it's going to is going to be interesting moving forwards because I think yes, I think I, I'm saying up to now. I think moving forwards, and this is very speculative because no one knows yeah. what Facebook's going to do about bidding for rights or whatever. We can all none of us know, right? So, you know, they've got to decide pretty quickly with the uh, the next Premier League, right? I think it's too soon. They ain't going to do that. I think that's 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 down the road. That's, I don't no, that's think, not going to happen. They no. need to. I, th- I think to Richard Scudamore need, need, to, well, needs somebody to push up the value yeah, of the rights. Somebody yeah. to, but I think it's probably a, a bit a bit sooner. I think obviously Amazon seems to be more likely with the Premier League when you talk about that particular example. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, I think they you know, they can sit there and watch watch a bit, I think, can't they? I mean, I, I mean, it might, it might even be too soon for Amazon because Amazon's deal with the ATP is quite a significant one and they've probably got to onboard that and make that work, perhaps. I, I don't know, but yeah. no, it's, 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 it's certainly they're, they're looking at it. Of course they will. It's the, as businesses of their scale, well, they're going to look... They're gonna, there's a lot of like, testing there. There is, isn't there? And so, that's, that's the way yeah. the business... You know, certainly with those Silicon Valley businesses, they do. They'll, they'll look at things and see what happens. The Line, where sport meets the marketing business. The big difference between a Facebook and a normal sports right holder surely is that Facebook hasn't got a subscription model. So how does it make the payback on those rights? Yeah, no, exactly. I think you know, you've got to compare Facebook and Amazon in terms of their business models. I think to Henry's point, uh, Facebook lends itself to promoting and growing a sport, which is why they're positioning themselves as the friend 
of rights holders, you know, short form content, highlights, fantastic, fantastic for sports fans, but also non-live content, so viral clips, videos, all the stuff that we PR these days, so, so great for that. You look at Amazon subscription TV model. Yeah. Do I want to watch live sport on Facebook? No. Do I want to watch it on my giant TV screen on Amazon? Yes. So that the hardware is there. Um, again, they can monetize it through through uh, through the subscription model. But also, I think the thing I think again for Amazon sport is a spread to catch a mackerel. I think the end goal for Amazon. Let's let's just remember what Amazon is. You know, it's an e-commerce platform, the most successful e-commerce platform. So for them, they're looking, thinking, well, hang on a minute. You know, you before you know it, you'll be buying the boots they're wearing. You know, Amazon will be delivering the beer and the Pringles to your home at, at half time because Alexa will know that you've run out because you'd have told it. Um, it'll know that you've. Uh, you're selling this future to me. Exactly. Make it happen. You're going to know the lawn afterwards. You know. <laughs> so I think the interesting thing for me around sports broadcast and OTT and players like Amazon coming is the e-commerce model. Because, again, going back to that tangible monetization, what's the end goal for any brand? is to sell more product uh, and to sell that as directly as possible, which is why data was the new oil. Yeah. Um, because it was a direct monetization means. But you can't get much more direct than clicking. Yeah. Click the tip, and, the tipping point, I think, will come with one of the global, genuine global rights holders, which is kind of like HP has done to extent, but... But it's this we're talking about football or basketball, perhaps selling their rights on a global basis. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it may not be football because it's more difficult because obviously the Premier League is very in a very competitive environment. It doesn't own the sport. It might be more a sport like well the NBA because obviously the NBA own basketball or, or, yeah. or a tactical yeah. investment within the NBA as a means to create content. So if you think of the a portion of so it might be Thursday night football. NFL or whatever it might be, buy up a small portion of rights to create an anchor destination. But then it's it's no coincidence that Amazon are building content around Man United. Why? It's much harder to sh- you don't shop while you're watching live sport, do you? Let's face it. Yeah. Uh, and same but for Chelsea, Chelsea fans do. Yeah, <laughs> you don't you don't serve. <laughs> got nothing yeah. else to watch. Well, you, you you can in NFL or NBA. There's massive great gaps in the in the action. Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, you that's can't, the that's, American you can't market. do that in football. Fa- Facebook are busy monetizing outside of the live sports performance again for Amazon and Facebook we're creating other content which which where they can be a bit more disruptive in terms of that uh, commercial commercial play right talking of big sports rights holders we're going to finish off talking about Formula One I've not been as interested in Formula One since uh, James Hunt was a boy since Nigel Mansell yes Um, this has been uh, you know I'm not a huge fan of the sport I don't watch it but off the the uh, track it's been uh, Quite an interesting year, um, Henry. What's your take? What's what's going on with Formula One? Um, quite a lot of huff and puff, but it doesn't seem to change much, does it? I think at the end of the day, the core product is in need of serious reshaping somehow because it's. I think for many people, it is. It just leaves them very cold. Um, so the, the, it's all very well to be, be a sort of technology race, and that's kind of interesting to a certain. But mm. you see what's been the success of 
and a property like the Premier League is the drama, the human interest, the the pantomime villains. The you know it's almost like the more you've had you know the Eric Cantona's, the Luis Suarez, the bad boys, the more it's compelling viewing, isn't it? It's a bit like. EastEnders, the more you've got a bad characters like Dirty Den or whoever, yeah, more you may you want to watch, and it creates that. Whereas if it's about making a car go 0.0001% quicker, uh, you know, that's only ever going to appeal to quite a, a particular audience, isn't it? And yeah. I think they need to trade out from that somehow. And to do that, they need, they need to build on the personality side of it, I believe. And 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 I because I still think people still want to watch humans doing amazing things, and um, and that's the bit that that's that's, that's challenging for them. Um, obviously, they've just they've rebranded. They've come up with a um, a more modern, cleaner new logo, new I identity. I love a logo story. What, what do we think of the logo? It's, it's just, subjective, it's, isn't it's it? No more better or worse than the old logo. Bernie so. Bernie didn't create it. You that's know, the main thing, just, isn't it? Yeah, it's it was a case like, of just repainting it, it the. Uh, Repainting the, the stands. So it's about eradicating the, the sort Bernie. of the the, the statement. statement. The Eccleston, the Eccleston era is over. I think anything with Bernie stamp on it is probably in the bin. Uh, that's not necessarily the right strategy to go down, but clearly there's probably a bit of it, isn't it? But they have done interesting things. I don't know if you before the British Grand Prix, they did a big activation in Trafalgar Square in central London, yeah. which as a rights holder they paid for themselves, which is not sustainable. They can't do that every year. They need that to be funded by partners and activated, but they're, they're, you know, they're obviously uh, looking uh, to do yeah. significant things. But yeah. I still think at the heart of it, you've got to get your product right. You've got to get, you know, and, and I think that is got to be built around making, you know, people give a shit and care about whether yeah. the also, drivers win or don't. And I, I, just, I think that's the problem. Do you really care? It limits the opportunities for brands as well, because you've, it's so one dimensional that if you haven't got the personalities, how can the brands activate? How can they get involved? Yeah. And that's what the teams obviously own the players, the, the drivers, and they earn so much. Money. You know, it's, it's like it's difficult that. So I think also, you know, they brought the Premier League, Premier League when Sky first broadcast the Premier League. You know, they were they zoom right in, didn't they? So for the first time, you saw people, fat characters up, up close and personal. And I think I think that sort of helps. So I think the televising somehow you've got to bring bring to life more. The, the personalities around it, but it's hard because they're in a car with a helmet on their head. Mm. So you, you know, I, I, it's, look, I, I think the big difference is you know looking at Formula One is it's it's a great example of what's wrong with a lot of official sport and official rights. I think the interesting thing about what's going to happen with Formula One is the US sports model is around putting the fans first. So I think that's going to be a good thing for Formula One. You know, they're going to have mm. to reimagine it a little bit and yeah. put, put the customer first. You know, NFL, NBA. First question they ask themselves <coughs> what what the fans going to think. So I think that's going to be great for Formula One to some degree. Uh, I think, you know, Formula One, much with a lot of sport these days, has become so sanitised. Uh, are fans interested in the official content? Yeah, of course, of course, live, the live, the drama of the Premier League, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the destination viewing. But outside of that, you know, do you, know, do you go to uh, your club's, you know, Chelsea's website for, for, for your... Chelsea content, you, you don't, do you? And I think there's a big thing around, and particularly again going back to the context of this conversation around where the industry is, official rights versus unofficial rights, particularly in the content world, uh, unofficial publishers. Um, yeah, you know, I work with Snack Media. They've got 300 platforms. They're all unofficial. Mm. So from a sponsor advertiser perspective, it's a dream because we can produce content that fans are actually genuinely interested in. Well, there's a, I mean, in that very seat, we had Robbie Lyle of uh, yeah. Arsenal Fan TV, which I think, you know, you could argue is the sort of 
standout media mm. platform of the year, really. I mean, it's, yeah. it's and, and I'm not sure, you know, it's interesting in terms of how you apply that model to other sports. And obviously we've seen, you mentioned Copper 90 have, and others have, have come out with a, you know, what do you do? The basic premise is what you do without any rights. That's the sort of, and you, it comes you've got down the ambush mentality, haven't you? Well, it yeah. also comes down to putting the fans first, which is something that you brought out, Rude. Yeah, and, and personality. Sports about personalities. There's some of the stuff that Henry and we've touched on. So, so the fact that, let's use Formula 1 as our example, let's go with that. The fact they've embraced Hamilton because he's a personality, good boy, bad boy. We know that's what that's what sells, you know, personalities on the pitch, off the pitch. Um, again, do you know? Do you it's rights holders? Again, I gave you an example of a. I was talking to an agent the other day, and it, one of his players has got a column in a national newspaper. By the time that's got through the rights holders press office, it's just not worth reading because it's been sanitised so much. Uh, versus going onto an unofficial content platform like Robbie, who yeah. actually will give you dish the dirt, will tell you what he thinks, will give you the transfer rumours. You know, and I think that's a big issue back to the start of our conversation that, that our industry's got to grapple with. I, I think Formula One needs to behave a bit more like a contender brand. Yeah. You know, okay, okay, in their sports, they are the elite, the, 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 the pinnacle of it. But they are not competing with their own sport. They're trying to compete with many other forms of sports and entertainment. And I, I think they, they've got a great history. They should play on that. Of course they do. They, they have got some great personalities within the sport. But I think they need to behave a bit more like a contender brand to get people to sit up and take notice and whatever. So they clearly got a, they've got some ideas. So it'd be interesting. I think you can't really judge them on one year. And they've got a new identity because they want to have a clean, new, f- fresh look and feel. I think you have to sort of judge them over the next couple of years to see whether they've made a significant change. I think it's not going to happen overnight. And, you know, let, let's see. But, you know, it's, well, to it's, ask it's you about tough. Formula E on the end of this conversation yeah. as well, because uh, I know Jaguar Land Rover fairly heavily invested in Formula E. And of course, it plays into the car manufacturer's desire to turn over their fleets to. Uh, I think I think that you just identified what they've got, which is many sports rights holders would love to have, which is they have a higher purpose. Yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. so yes, they're sports entertainment, and yes, the nature of the things they can they can create events within cities, you know, which is which is yeah, much more preferable. But most of all, they have a narrative, which is about their you know the the big ticket dream. I guess is that trying to change the way people drive in cars and people's attitudes towards sustainable vehicles. So to have that higher purpose makes them much more, uh, you know, it's a much better. Uh, starting point for a conversation with commercial partners and it's more palatable perhaps for a younger millennial consumer as well all of whom as we know are you know like to be associated with things which are kind of have a cause or you know have have a good feeling about them and i think and that's that's quite an antidote to formula one isn't it so i think that's that's definitely potential for growth there you think it's a good potential for growth and i think formula one needs to be conscious of that about the fact in fact they've got a contender brand that actually has got a bit more of a wholesome and and sort of palatable you know story about it it's an interesting point about purpose you've seen toyota sign a big deal with the IOC around broadening, you know, trying to move beyond being a car category and into a mobility area. And obviously the future of the car is 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 there. So again, the the it's that the brand purpose argument is an interesting one because it can get very dull and worthy quite quickly, can't it? 
It can, but I don't think they. I still, I, I, I still I, yeah, I still exactly. Yeah. I'm not going to go to Formula I don't, E and think. No, but, but I don't think they ran down the, the throat. But it's just nice to have that as a backdrop, and I think that certainly works for commercial partners. I think they've got a very good way of commercial partners because it's like a good thing for them to be associated with. It's not the thing to lead on driving consumer engagement, but it's a sort of secondary thing that helps support it. But I think you know. We, I, th- I think your point about F1 is is one where when you're at the top of the tree, your contender argument, it's very easy to get lazy, isn't it? and other people are innovating around them, Formula E being a great example of addressing uh, an agenda point uh, and very, very neatly. Uh, and But the issue with innovation, it's very easy for people to copy quite quickly. So again, I wouldn't be surprised. As soon as Formula E becomes a, a threat, which it rapidly is, a support, they'll, they'll have a Formula E support race. They might even buy Formula E. I mean, who, yeah. who knows? Right. They're already making inroads towards hybrid engines and technology. Do When they, it's a bit like Facebook, when they need to make that move, they'll make it and they'll they'll move with a big check and they'll they'll move fast. Um, and again, it's just that case of they've just been a bit bit lazy uh, yeah, yeah. and not innovated and not thought about higher purpose and agendas and what fans think. So we have gone from Henry selling United We Stand <laughs> fanzines outside Old Trafford through to unofficial content online. So it's sort of back to the future. Um, fascinating stuff thank you very much thank you Danny for your company as always thanks Thanks to Rupert Pratt um, founder of Generate and co-founder of Snack Gaming and Henry Chappell founding partner of Pitch Marketing Group Deo Adonai was our producer today Um, this has been a production with PR Week and Cake so till the next time thanks very much The Line is sponsored by Cake the Havas Sport and Entertainment Agency Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.